Hello, and welcome to Walking with the Tengu, a podcast exploring classic texts for the modern martial artist. I really appreciate that each and every one of you has chosen to join me on this walk. Today, we continue our walk through the Budo Shoshinshu. It's a manual for young samurai written in the early 1700s. Well, the idea of Bushido has been romanticized both in the West and Japan in the modern era, the Budo Shoshinshu takes a measured and practical approach to instructing a young warrior in the basics of ethics, training, and mindset. Many of the lessons remain relevant regardless of the time period, worldview, or culture we come from. The question of who we are as a person is likely one that you've spent some time thinking about. How do we define ourselves? As a social and tribal species, we likely spend more time than we realize sorting out where we stand in relation to others based on whether we are in their group or outside of their group. And a long time ago, that likely made the difference between life and death. A new person from an unknown group would have unknown motivations, could carry new diseases, and fundamentally existed as a new variable in an equation that balanced on the fine edge of a knife between survival and death. To this end, baked into our DNA is likely a set of subconscious innate survival skills that focus on whether someone is in our tribe or outside of it. To figure this out, children sort themselves into cliques, gangs, and groups. In my own school, I recall there being the jocks, the nerds, the goths, the punks, the skaters, and so on. Anything and everything from music, hairstyles, and of course clothing became a method of declaring which group you were in. These symbols, in a simple sense, served as a way of defining our identity, of who we are and what we stood for. But there was one behavior that all these groups held in common. They had no loyalty to the outsider. If you were outside, you might be tolerated at best, but you were always kept at a distance, never fully welcome in, never closest to the warmth of the firelight always on the edge, ready to be cut loose and abandoned if it served the needs of the group. Let me be clear, this was an important survival trait. There truly is safety in numbers, for a variety of reasons, though while in the past we were born into our tribe, our group, we have some flexibility in determining our group today. I would suspect that most, if not all, listening to this podcast considers themselves to be martial artists, which could be considered a kind of group. We have customs, practices, jargons, and ways of viewing the world that differ from non-martial artists. Then, of course, we have many different subgroups within the martial arts that view each other with varying degrees of judgment, suspicion, and, dare I say, superiority. These sometimes important, sometimes aesthetic and arbitrary divisions can be useful, but they can also be troubling. The in-group linguistic and behavioral conditioning in some martial arts groups could be considered a kind of, at best, unintentional brainwashing, or at worst, a sort of cult-like set of grooming practices that ultimately seek to control the individual. The reward, of course, is being allowed to be part of the group. Are we truly still that way, seeking to be a part of a group or a tribe? I would say yes. But it's important here to recognize that there's likely a psychological limit to the size of this group. In some sense, there are people who would try and unite all of us into one global tribe. And while I suspect their motivations are pure, such an end would come at a great cost of homogenizing the population of the planet. There would be 
a lot less room for real differences, be it culture, language, or worldview. That, that is the way we think and, and view the world. Hopefully, in my quick description earlier of these dividing practices, you can see the problem with the other end of the spectrum of going too tribal. Having recognized the dangers of too rigid a tribal culture, I do not suspect this is our problem today. Today, we are called to care about everyone and everything at all times and in all places, something we are physically, mentally, and unemotionally not equipped to process. Dunbar's number is a suggested cognitive limit to the number of people with whom one can maintain stable social relationships, relationships in which an individual knows who each person is and how each person relates to every other person. This number was first proposed in the 1990s by British anthropologist Robin Dunbar, who found a correlation between primate brain size and average social group size. By using the average human brain size and extrapolating from the results of primates, he proposed that humans can comfortably maintain 150 stable relationships. Dunbar explained it informally as, quote, the number of people you would not feel embarrassed about joining uninvited for a drink if you happen to bump into them in a bar, end quote. The larger this number of connections it is proposed, the more laws, customs, and rules are needed for a group to maintain cohesive existence. There was also proposed a periphery group of former acquaintances that one could desire to reestablish a connection with should their path cross yours again one day. But as a general rule, the idea was that there was an upper limit to the number of people who could maintain real social connections with. I suspect, as with most things in biology, this is a flexible number, with some people being able to maintain more or less than that average, with outliers being particularly far from the average. Then, of course, there are the many historical methods of nations employing various methods to homogenize their populations into monolithic people groups, all speaking the same language and with the same view of the world, so that they can collectively bring the ambitions of their governments to fruition. It's easier to achieve your goals when an entire nation of people share in the belief that their participation in the in-group is a fundamental part of their identity. In the end, there's very few who can escape being a part of some group. Even anarchists share cohesive traits of symbols, worldview, and ideology. No matter what group you're in, the next question to ask is what kind of person of value will you be to your group, your tribe? As mentioned earlier, this organizing to groups that work towards each other's survival has been and remains an important survival trait for our species. The question of whether you're in a good tribe or a bad group is an ethical dilemma for you to sort out. But for now, let's look at one way to categorize and understand your value to your tribe. Daidoji Yuzan, the author of the Budosho Shinshu, begins this next section by describing three different kinds of samurai. The first is Chusetsu no samurai. And it's fairly straightforward. Chusetsu is a word meaning loyalty, with a sense of a season or a period of time. William Scott Wilson uh, translates this as a samurai of devotion. The second kind of samurai is either tadakatsu or tadanori no samurai. And it gave me a little bit of trouble, as it doesn't have a normal dictionary entry. It's made up of two kanji. The first is the same as the last word meaning loyalty, and the second this time meaning achievement, merits, or success. It apparently can be translated as either tadakatsu or tadanori. I'm sorry, not translated, but pronounced as either tadakatsu or tadanori. 
And my apologies if you have a better grasp on classical Japanese and are hearing me pronounce it the wrong way, please write me a message and let me know so I can update this section of the episode. Wilson translates this as a samurai of faithful service. Daidoji Yuzan uses the two words together to describe the third as a samurai that does both. The first kind, the samurai of devotion, is one who may be lacking in his performance during day-to-day situations, but will someday do some kind of noteworthy work for his lord at least once in his life. For this reason, even though he may not be the best at his normal job, his lord and co-workers are patient with him, knowing he'll be able to accomplish something important at some point. The second type, the samurai of faithful service, is one who likely can't do anything particularly noteworthy. However, what he does do, not only his normal work, he does consistently and with care. And he quite help, happily also helps his co-workers with their work, even when they're sick or otherwise in need of help. So even though he doesn't have any particularly noteworthy skills or merit, his consistency and dependability make him an asset to everyone. Thus, the ideal clan or tribe member, samurai in this case, would be one who combines those two traits. One who has some special or noteworthy capability, and also is faithful in the consistency and quality of his daily menial work. Daidoji describes this as the two stirrups in a horse's saddle. If you have just one of these traits, you can't be said to be bad, but the one who has both leaves the others in the dust. Lastly, Daidoji describes the samurai who fails to achieve any of these three. He uses the word buke no gokutsubushi. Gokutsubushi is described in the dictionary as a good-for-nothing, parasite, deadbeat, loafer, drone, or idler. Literally, it could be translated as grain crusher. So, which of these three, well, to be fair, four, are you? Hopefully, none of us are the last one, the deadbeat, the leech. However, even if you are, I suspect, as with so many things, we can pass through different phases in our life. We can always choose, no matter our circumstances or past, to be better. Just as we may choose to shift from one group to another, shedding our tribal skins to assimilate into the next, so too can we choose today to be the person of faithful service, as Daidoji describes it. The person who can be depended on in their job, no matter how menial or lowly it may be. Likewise, we can choose to develop a skill or knowledge set such that when the day comes that it is needed, we can be ready to do that work of notable service. Of course, as Daidoji Yuzan has already pointed out, ideally, we would choose to do both. I would leave you with a set of questions to think about today. In the past, what group or groups have you been in, and why did you leave or outgrow them? What group or groups are you in today? Is your martial arts training group one of these? If not, why not? Do these groups truly share an ethical common ground with your worldview? And if they do, how can you best be a member of that group that engages both in quote-unquote devotion and faithful service? Spend some time considering these questions and then set a goal. This could be to find a better group, or change a habit to make you more faithful in your service, or possibly a line of study or practice that would make you more ready to perform a noteworthy act in the service of your group's goals. 
If you feel like sharing with me what these are, I'd love to hear about it. And that's all for today. Please help the podcast out by sharing and telling people about it. The best way you can help us is just by letting people know that it's out there and what it's got you thinking about. Thank you for listening and talk to you again soon.